presence of the Lord that is in this place this morning. I know that a lot of us are fighting with sicknesses uh, this week, and I just want to assure everybody that that's only because we kind of kicked the devil in the face Tuesday night with our testimonies. So, uh, but what a wonderful service that was too. <clears throat> we're going to start in, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to start in the book of Revelation this morning, Revelation 19, and I hope that God will use me greatly today to get this across the way that he laid it on my heart. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and as the voice of a mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and has wife, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he hath said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Bow your hearts with me. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come here this morning and share your word with your people, both here and abroad. And I just ask, Lord, that you let me step aside and you step forward and let it not be my word and my intellect and my knowledge just let it be you, Lord, to come forth and bring out this message the way that you laid it on my heart so mightily. Just let, just take control of my tongue and my heart and my mind. All the doors are open, Lord. Just completely take me over, Jesus, and let it be your message to your people, to your bride here this morning, and let them get a grasp of what what you have in store and what this entails, Father. And I just ask that you bless each and every one here. Bless those that are listening or will listen and those that are watching or will watch. Those that will go back and listen and watch again. Just, Lord, bless them and let them take from this what you have in store for their hearts, what you have in store for their mind and their lives. And I just thank you for what will come out of this message, what will come out of this service, the testimonies and the writings and, and just the love that you are going to show to your, your bride here this morning. And I ask you th these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen. You can be seated. So my intent this morning is I want to show you if you had any doubts, if you were bright or not, I don't want there to be any doubts after this morning. This cord is not that long. I have a long torso, so it's kind of pulling my neck backwards. So what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? 
What does it mean to say that we are the bride? What makes us the bride? What makes you specifically the bride? What entails when you say, okay, I am the bride? What then comes from it? Hopefully, this morning and probably Wednesday too, we will get to the bottom of a lot of these answers. Ephesians 5 and 23 get over there. Do not want to misquote anything. Whoops. I just ripped a, my Bible. Ephesians 5 and 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So this here is saying that Jesus is to us, Christ is to us, as the husbands are to their wives. So that would make the church his wife, right? That's literally what it says. So I'm going to read a really long, uh, from 1964, the masterpiece. Brother Branham had a, a vision about the bride, and it's rather long, but we need to hear all of it. Starting on paragraph 187, he says, I fell into a trance, and when I did, there was somebody with me. I didn't see the person. It was just a voice. And I looked, and as I looked this way, he said, the bride will come in view for preview. And I looked coming to me, and I seen the most, the most prettiest bunch of clean-dressed women I ever seen in my life. But each one of them looked like was dressed different. They all had long hair, and they were long sleeves and skirts and so forth. Young women, they looked kind of, I'd say, about maybe 20. Now, I have the Bible open here before me, see. I can only say what I've seen. If you say, what are you looking at? I'm looking at a clock. What are you looking for? I'm looking for people, looking at people. What are you looking at? I'm looking at the Bible. That's what. I'm telling the truth. That's what I see, and I can only say what I've seen. I don't know what it all about it. I just have to tell you. But when this bride, she was looking right at the one was looking, or the one that was talking to me, and I, I standing together, her eyes, she was the cleanest, sweetest-looking people i ever seen in my life. Looked like I could have been a dozen or more. Just, I don't know how many was abreast, but... There, just in a group of them, and she passed by sweetly with the air, and her eyes up watching as she passed by. Oh, she was beautiful. I looked at her and as she passed by. He said, now we shall review. Said, that's the bride. Now we will review the churches. And they come, and I noticed them coming up, and when they come up, each one looked like got worse. i never seen such a filthy bunch in my life. And when he said, next, I heard a noise, and it said, next, said, here comes the American group. Now, I'm an American, but this, this made me sick. I'm not eloquent enough to, in a mixed audience to say what was taking place. I, and you'll have to read between the lines, but when the woman, when the women were coming, the leader of them was a witch. She had a great long nose and a great big mouth, and all of them was dressed with some kind of lower clothes here, but the top just had a strap. 
but just a little, about a half-inch strap that moved up and went around them like this, and each woman had something on an order. Many of you, years ago, used to remember when we used to cut that paper, you know, newspaper, and make an old fly bush. How many remembers it? You know why? I think they use it in carnivals, you know, hanging down like that, fringed paper, lace paper. They had something holding below them like this, holding below them. All this part was exposed, and each one had hair cut up real short and frizzy-looking things all over it like that real short-cut hair and full of makeup, absolutely nothing but looked like street prostitutes. And they were walking with this paper in the vulgarity. Now, the paper was what was holding in front of them. But when they passed the review stand in the back of them and to see the way they were going on in their foremost and their back part and how they were acting, I said, is that the church? And there she went, and they were singing this here, twist and roll songs, you know, or ever what you're calling going down, singing that and going by. I said, is that the church? And I was standing there, and in my heart, I was crying. And this witch, to my notion, it's nothing else in the world, but she's a, she is that world council of churches leading them right straight down the road where she was going. They went off to the left and disappeared in chaos still beating this music and making real funny sounds and shaking their bodies one side and then the other side and then like that carrying on like that walking and I just started to bow my head and he said wait the bride must come again and I looked and here they come again and they passed by a sweet looking little ladies they was all looking right at me as they passed by and I noticed each one was dressed different and one in the back had kind of long hair hanging down and had it rolled around like this. Might have been German or something like that. And I watched them. And then as they started leaving, two or three of them in the back kind of get out of step. And I was going to holler at them. And they was trying to get back in step again. And I seen them, just the vision, just fade out and change from me. Now here's an interpretation thereof. And if you went back from this prior to 187 where we started... He says, I have no clue what it means, basically. He said, this is just, I'm going to just tell you what it means, or I'm going to just tell you what happened, and I don't, I don't know what it means. So as we go, he gets the interpretation of it. And I hadn't finished. The reason, now remember, I just got through writing. I hadn't finished. I hadn't wrote these notes yet, but in preaching this morning, I caught what it was. Writing my sermon, did you notice the church only came in view? Now, that's the truth, friends. The Heavenly Father who writes the word knows that I tell the truth. See, I know I just say the truth. And not knowing it till just a few minutes ago looked like, or just recently, see, did you notice the bride come in view twice? The first seed and the second seed, both of them exactly the same. One, and the reason they're dressed in different parts, shall come from all nations. It'll make up the bride. Each one had long hair, no makeup, real pretty girls, and they were watching me. They represented the bride coming out of all nations. See, she, she, each one represented a nation as they marched perfectly in line with the word, see? And then I have to watch her. 
She'll get out of step with that word if I don't watch. When she's passed by, if she gets by, maybe it'll be time. When I'm over, see, when I'm finished or whatever it is. What? They was getting back. They're trying, excuse me, trying their best and was getting back just in line because they, they was looking out somewhere else, watching about the church that just went out into chaos, but two, the front ones never, the back ones, just two or three of them, was kind of stepped out a little bit to the right-hand side and looked like was trying to get back in line as they went by. They was just past me, oh, far, oh, far as here to the wall past me, and I was standing there, and then I just seen it all move out and leave. But you notice the church only came in view once, Each nation, the church, but the bride come in twice. See, see what it is? Now, not knowing it, but looking at it with my message this morning, not knowing that, see, the seed fell in the ground at Nicaea. That was the original seed, and she's coming through the process of these denominations, which only comes in existence once, but the bride returns back again in the last days. I will restore See, the masterpiece is brought up. That's the reason she's in view, reviewed the second time. She was reviewed the first time, then she was reviewed the second time, and she was perfectly the second time like she was the first time. Oh, God, have mercy. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Life, get in the grain right quick. Uh huh. All others never appeared no more. They went out never to come back again. I know that was a lot. But there's a lot to take from this. We could, we could spend the next couple weeks just off of this vision. But something that I want to bring out is let's just kind of bring it back down a little bit. So he had this vision, and the first one to come out was the bride. And they were nice and humble and pretty and no makeup, and they weren't hiding anything. And they went by. And then the church came out, and it was vulgar and just barely dressed in anything and tons of makeup and he called them street prostitutes and they were dancing and jumping and you know doing all this vulgarity and then they walked off with the and when the bride came back through the front couple never turned their eyes off of the direction they were going but the back couple started veering off paying attention to what the the church was doing They were getting caught up into what that church was doing. And that happens a lot today. We we end up getting caught up in what's the church doing. I need to be like that. Just like Israel way back when they decided to have a king. They said, I want to have a king like them. Why? Why do you want a king like them? Why do we as the bride want to be like the church with the big C, just church in general. We want the, what happens a lot of times, I'm going to be honest, the reason that smaller assemblies want to get into big church group denominations is because they, they say for the sake of growing, but what it really boils down to is the one that's standing here wants the sake of growing his pockets. He wants to have the nice cars and the, and the 
big church building where when people drive by, they go, man, look at that church. A lot of people must go there. Okay? Whereas if you look at our parking lot, they go, man, that's a, that parking lot's packed out. Or when we had our couple of services over at our new building, and what a blessing that is, we already know we can seat more in that building, but we can't park many more in that, at that building. But when people go by, let's be honest. So, yeah, the first couple, how many times have we drove past these massive mega churches or whatever? There's one over on the east side of town. I don't remember the name of it off of 21st Street. It is massive. Parking lot can fit thousands of cars. Go by on a normal Sunday morning now and see how many cars are in the parking lot. There's not a lot of cars in the parking lot. There's not a lot of people in the pews. But you still got the payments. You still got to pay for the electricity and the bills that come from that. You still have to because you stepped out and you wanted to be like that one church. You wanted to have the lights turned down low and the flashing lights and all the music and all the, all the fanaticism that comes with more people being in. And with more people come more problems. And some of those problems are, well, I don't like the way that you said this, so we got to not say that, right? Because if, if I say something to offend somebody, they leave, and so does their pocketbook. Romans 5 and 8. But God commandeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So why is that such a big deal? Why, like we hear it a lot of times and we don't really, okay, he loves us, God loves us, so what about it? I'm the bride, but what does that mean? What does it mean to have that God love? In the book of Jude, we're going to jump around a lot. I got to lay a firm foundation before we get started here. Jude 1, 7 through 8. This is why God's love matters. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange fl flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. We've talked about it before. What if Abraham had kept going? If you find ten, if you find five, what if you find one? Would God have spared Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, I think he would have because Abraham was asking him to. And we go through previously, I mean, yes, it was after Abraham, but we've learned, we have the benefit that we have both sides of the Bible. We have all the script here so we can see before and after. So I, we're, we're taught that whatever we ask in his name will be given to us. So if Abraham had kept going, But was Abraham bride? 
was Abraham the bride that we talked about in Revelation? Are you bride or not? I believe that I am bride. I believe that those in here are bride. But we, a lot of times, have questions on if I am or not. What makes me bride? What does that mean? How do I know if I am bride? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to beat this horse a little bit here, guys. I was listening. That's funny. I was listening to uh, Brother Andrew Spencer down in, he was in a meeting in at the Evening Light Tabernacle meetings in Minden, and that's how he started it. He said, this is going to kind of be like riding a new horse. So just bear with me. It might be a little rocky at first, but we got we to gotta bring this down to an understanding. So is Jesus Christ the head of your life? The reason that I, that let's be specific there, is Jesus Christ the head of your life is because just Jesus, we make our own versions of Jesus. We go, well, my Jesus wouldn't do that. My Jesus wouldn't condemn people. My Jesus didn't make a hell because he's loving and he's forgiving. And those things are true, but there has to be another side because not everybody accepts Jesus Christ. There's only one Jesus Christ, but we make our own Jesuses within the church to fit our own agenda. Well, my Jesus doesn't like pianos. Well, my Jesus doesn't like drum sets. My Jesus doesn't like red carpet. Y'all think I'm kidding. <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding. In Mark 16, and this has been... There's a lot to Mark 16. I will always, Brother Sam has said he's been trying to get into Mark 16 recently. I'm going to just read the end of Mark 16 here, 15 through 18. And he said unto them, and then mine goes red letters, so this is be Jesus. So the he that said unto them is Jesus Christ. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. We talk about that a lot, but I wanted to point it out to show you where it is. Either you believe what this book says or you don't. So I showed you where it calls that the bride and the bride supper in Revelation. And then we went back and we talked about how God loves us and how Jesus is the head of the church like the husband is the head of his wife. So that would be that Jesus is the head of his wife, which is the church. So church is not, though, 
just this assembly, just Claremore, just Pawnee. When we talk about the church, we're talking about church as a whole. There are bride in Catholic churches. They are miserable, but they're there. There are bride in all the denominational churches. They might not be happy. They don't have the power that Mark 16 talks about, but they are there just like they are here. I've been in many denominational churches, especially throughout 15 years in the military and going here and there and all, you know, all over the world. And there are people that you can just see Jesus on them. You can see that they are a Holy Spirit-filled believer. And then there's people that you go, I'm surprised lightning didn't strike you when you walked in the room. That's the church that Brother Brandon was talking about in that vision. Just like it wasn't separated that, okay, they went and then he went to a new room and the church was over here and then the bride was in this other room. They're all together because we're all together in one world. We have to walk with those church people that will condemn you and say that we are a cult and we are doomsday preppers and we're doing all these things because we think we're better than everybody else. And I'm sure that there are those that are in the message. I'm sure that there are those that say, well, we got it right, you got it wrong, you're going to hell, see you later. They're in every church, though. I read an article yesterday, and I let Erica read it, and it said the 10 people that are in every church that make pastoral ministry really hard. And you think about it, and you're like, oh, well, it's got to be this one. It's got to be that one. And it was the one that's always threatening to leave. Well, you say one more thing like that, and I'm leaving. The one that uh, an amateur theologian that always misquotes his Bible to try to prove you wrong. The, there's one about, oh, well, you know, the one that never, that uses other people on the, the Internet sermons. They use Internet sermons to prove you wrong in what you're doing. And there's, I mean, there's seven more, and it was really funny, but the sad part is it's true and that it's in every church. Every church has somebody that is going to do everything they can to disagree with everything set up here. They won't do it like right now. I've been in some churches where people have stood up and tried to rebuke from the back. I've heard of stories where people have been preachers be preaching and guys stand up and try to correct them but it generally doesn't happen here because if for no other reason there's 21 of us in here so if one person says something there's 20 other to help out right strength in numbers it generally happens when you're in small groups if you're you know if you're a bigger church and have Sunday school if you're just hanging out with Joseph and I hanging out on the weekend, and be like, well, you know, I can't believe what my dad said Sunday. 
those type of things, when you're one-on-one with somebody because you don't have the strength of other people behind you. But that's what we're getting to. So just like, and I'm jumping ahead in my notes, but I know it's in there somewhere. So just like if my wife called me and said, hey, I need help. Now that I'm not active duty, she did do that once when I was in the military, and I said, I can't leave work. Um, But now I would drop what I'm doing and go help. Any husband in here would drop what they were doing and go help. At least they should. So if you are the bride of Christ, which I'm saying that we are, and you're one-on-one with somebody, and they call out and they say, I do not believe with what this said, and you go, Jesus, help me. Do you not think he's going to show up? You, why did he show up this morning? Who in here is worthy enough that Jesus would come down and fill this room with the Holy Spirit? Why did the angel of the Lord come down and, and be in our presence? Was it because we have such good singing? Was it, was it because we're all so holy? It's all because we are believers and we are bride and we believe with what this says. And when we ask for him to come, he shows up. But the other side of that, when we ask for him to come and he shows up and he tells us something and you don't like what he says, you got to take it though. Erica and I were talking about some stuff and she said that multiple times that, and I have been too, so I won't just point her out, but it was a conversation we were having, especially here recently since we've come into a a greater revelation of Jesus and of this message, not the message, but the message of the Bible, this greater revelation that things that we used to believe or things that we're currently doing we got rebuked on and it hurt. We go, I don't want to give that up. I like doing this. I like doing that. That's part of me, whatever the case is. But we asked him to come in and clean us up. And then when he comes in to clean us up, we go, oh no, I already got it. I was talking to somebody that their wife used to clean houses and they said that most houses that their wife went to the owners had already cleaned because they were ashamed of what the cleaning lady would see when she showed up. We do that too. We try to clean our house and we try to clean our heart before we, when we ask Jesus, and he, okay, I'll be by there Tuesday. And you go, all right, I'm doing nothing but cleaning on Monday. You can't clean what he will clean. You can't wash that off. Revelation said white linens, linens that are so pure, right? You can't get something that clean. Cleaner than bleach, whiter than bleach can make it. We only know that, okay, we can get this white because I soaked it in bleach. But these linens that we get as bride are so pure And so clean that we as mortal people cannot even 
put a explanation to. At least I can't. I'm not good with words. So do these signs and wonders. I just read four verses in Mark 16. Do those signs and wonders follow you? Do other signs and wonders? Do people say, oh man, you know, why are you so happy? Why do you why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why do you why do you pray before you eat a sandwich at lunch? There's nothing special about that sandwich. Why do you do that? Why did Jesus have to pray before he broke the bread? There wasn't nothing special about that little boy's lunch. Just some bread and some fishes. But look what happened with it. Look what happened. Look what could happen when you just have this little, we'll just say bologna and mustard sandwich. And you're like, it's all I have. It's all I can afford. That can fill you up for days in the right hands. Do these signs follow you? Let's make it personal. Think back and think of do you cast out devils in the name of Jesus? Do you speak with new tongues? Do you, I know somebody that used to pick up serpents all the time. Do you drink deadly things and shout and it will not hurt you? Do you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover? There's no there's no question in that. It doesn't say you lay hands on the sick and they might get better. It says they will. We have to believe this just like we believe the sun coming up every morning. You have to believe that. But if you're not bride, if you're questioning if you are in Christ, if you are bride, then you're questioning just these little things too. This isn't just for me. This isn't just for Brother Sam. It's not just for Aaron. This is for everybody. I'm pretty sure that my Bible, it might not be in yours, but it says, for whosoever, that none would be lost. That means, I, I was talking to Erica last night. God told Cain, just do what he did, and I'll accept it. Even after he got mad about it, just, just do what he did, and I'll accept it. God even wanted Cain to be saved, and he was called, his, his father was the devil, right? He was a son of, he was the seed of. God still wanted him. God still wanted Esau, and the Bible says that even before Esau was born, he hated God. God hated him, but he still wanted him. The only reason is because God can see up there and go, I know he's not going to change. So we as bride, there's a good chance you wouldn't be here if you didn't believe the vast majority job on that one the vast majority of this you would not be here if you did not believe even just the whosoever will 
that anybody that comes, that none will be lost. Because why else would you be here? We talked about it Tuesday. There's tons of other places to be. There's tons of other places that would probably, we'll say, more fun in the eyes of the world. Better seats, more comfortable, whatever you want to, whatever it is that would make you not want to be here. But here you are, sitting in folding chairs, listening to a hayseed from Tennessee in the middle of a cornfield talk about the Bible. Why? Because you came expecting something today. You woke up and you said, thanks for waking me up. Thank you for your mercy and grace because I need that every day, multiple times. I'm going to show up where you want me to go because I know you're going to be there. You have to see yourself in this revelation, in this bride. Satan hates when you realize your bride. Because when you realize that you're bride, then you realize that Jesus is in you and you're in Jesus, and we're all one, and we have the power that he has. And what did he have? Mark 16. Jesus could not have died until he was done with that work. So if you're in Jesus, you can't die until God is done with you. That sounds a little pretentious, sounds a little conceited, right, to say, oh, I'm immortal. But guess what? You are. God has a work for you. Jesus has a task for you to do. And until you're done with it, nothing can touch you. And now I've lost my place. So do these signs and wonders follow you? I've got to go, like I said, I've got to go quite a few places here just in the past year that we've been coming here to Claremore, to Pawnee, to Amarillo. We've met tons of people that have got to come through here, and I love it greatly, and I love them greatly. But when you get to go other places and see the same things happening there, that are happening here, that are happening way over there. And then you talk to people and they go, oh, well, this is what happened to me. And then this is what happened to me. And you're going, these are the same things. These are the signs and wonders of Mark 16. We see it, yet we just go, oh, okay, that's cool. Right? I guarantee you, if we had, so Brother Branham talked about there was somebody that was came up to one of the prayer lines and he was just crippled and couldn't stand up. Legs were buckled, hands were all buckled up. They led him up with a chain, which is kind of, but maybe he had demons on him. But what he came up there for was to pray for his brother that was way back in the audience. 
Somebody could come through here, and I'm going to call us all out for a minute. I'm going to put myself in this too. Somebody could come through those doors just like that. Bound up, twisted, can't walk, come through a prayer line, be healed. Stand up straight, talking clearly, run out the doors. And for a couple weeks, maybe a couple services, we'll talk about how great it was. But as soon as things slow down, when you don't see that happening all the time, you go, God, where are you now? We seem to be ashamed to ask God to do things in our lives. Well, that's too little of a prayer. Well, why would he, why would he heal my sickness and not do this? Why would he heal my sickness and not heal Brother Hector's eyes or dad's arms and legs? Why would he do this for me and not do those big things? We went and saw Chosen season three, the first two episodes in the theater, and it was it was actually really cool. Um, the first night was pretty much sold out. They were running two theaters. I saw an article that Hollywood's a little upset that Chosen made so much money in its first two days because it's not a multi-billion dollar film, but it brought in so many people. It sold so many tickets. Uh, so we went and we watched it, and at one point when Jesus is sending everybody out to, to go preach to the, you know, corners of the earth, and little James comes up and he goes, hey, Rabbi, I got a question. Why have you not healed me of my ailment? And Jesus tells him that sometimes it's a greater testimony to say, look at me and my ailment, but I still believe that God will heal you. I have back problems, and I've had that conversation with God a lot. I've told you all about them. I don't have them when I'm up here. But later today, and I pray, and I rebuke, and I cast out that, and it, it's always, it just always is achy. It's not like painful I did have it go out one day at work and almost went home but and I and why do you do this kind of the same thing why do you not heal me but I see people being healed of diabetes and people getting all these other pain you know pancreatic cures and this is happening and that's happening and I see it happening but why will you not just take the pain away and then that really that really touched me watching that episode because it might be, it might not be big to you because you've lived with it your whole life. It might not be something that you're really like, oh, well, it's not that big a deal. Or rather, it might not be big to somebody else, but it's crippling to you. And you go, well, how can I, why do you let me live with this kind of pain day in and day out? But you'll heal that person. We don't understand the mind of God. We have a better glimpse when we become into when we come into that revelation that we are the bride of Christ that if, if that every verse in this book speaks of Jesus and if it speaks of Jesus it speaks of you. And you have to see Jesus in every verse. If you can't go back and read it again.
That puts a whole new meaning to the Bible when you can find the groomsman and the bride on every verse. That's you that he's talking about in Mark 16. You go, well, it says that I shall be healed. You're right. I'm not disputing that fact. Nobody in here is saying that you will not be healed of that, in that fact. But it will be on his time, not on your time. You will be healed. No matter if it's on this side or that side of glory, you'll be healed. You're not going to end up three feet tall in heaven or not be able to see in heaven. You're going to be healed. But right now, God is using you as a testimony. God is using your ailments to say, look, I believe that he'll heal you. Well, why hasn't he healed you? Because he doesn't want to right now. He's using me to say something to you. I've told people that about my dad. Think about the testimony when other people go, well, if he can do it, then I have no excuse. That's what got me through basic training. Well, simple stuff. Well, if my dad can drive a truck, then I can make it through this obstacle course. They don't correlate. I mean, come on. Dad would have trouble throwing his feet over a rope and dragging himself over a pool. He might end up swimming. He can't swim. So it would be bad. When you realize that you have the power in Mark 16, Satan gets scared. When you say, okay, this is for me, not for Erica, not for Bethany, this is for me. This is, Jesus came down and he said, Aaron, I'm going to write Mark 15, 16, 15 through 18 for you. That's yours. Take with it. So our prophet, now, is he your prophet? Do you believe right here today, I'm going to call you out, that William Miriam Branham is the prophet of this day? He said that the devil doesn't get out of bed for the preached word. Peter went and pre you know, preached to 3,000 people. The devil didn't even roll over. But when Peter walked past that guy, at the, that young man at the gate, beautiful, and he said, I don't have gold or silver, but what I do have, and he started operating in this, the devil gets scared. That'll wake him up real fast. I've talked to, I've, I've told Erica before, that there's been times that I'm even like, I don't even want to go home because nothing bad's happened today. I've had a good day. Everything's gone right at work. I haven't gotten any arguments. People haven't bothered me. Something bad's going to happen. Satan just takes me from this ditch all the way over to this ditch. And we go, oh, well, if, if he's going to hurt me, then I just got to. No. You don't have to let Satan do anything. When you realize that your bride and you realize that Mark 16, 15 through 18 is for you? That you tread on serpents. We've talked about that. You don't just take up the serpent and hold it around and carry it around with you. You cast it out. 
if a snake came through here right now and I picked it up, I'm not going to continue my sermon holding this snake. We're going to pause for a second. I'll take it out into the cornfield. If it's deadly, we might kill it and then just throw it out into the grass. We don't hold on to it. So why do we hold on and accept what Satan's given you? All these sicknesses that have come through the church since Tuesday. Sam got sick Wednesday. Presley's not feeling good. Emma's not feeling good. Mom's coughing. Sister Michelle lost her voice. That was before Tuesday, but it probably didn't get any better. When we start realizing where we're at, and you start accepting the anointing that God wants to put on your life. We talked about it here that, you know, Satan shows up to deliver a package and you go, that's not mine. I don't want that. But let's be honest. If FedEx showed up to your door in a big old box, you don't know what it is. And they said, this is yours. Can you sign for it? There's not many people in this room that would go, oh, no. That's not mine. You take that back. When Walmart calls and says that you have two TVs that you haven't picked up yet, yet they're sitting in your basement, what do you do? They're saying they're yours. Come get your stuff before we put it back on the shelf. What do you do? Do you accept it? Or do you just say, that's not mine. Something smells fishy about this situation. Be on your way. But God does the same thing. God shows up and he says, hey, here's this anointing that I want you to go take up serpents and heal people and do all these things. And we go, I don't know about that. I don't know if you understand who you're talking to. I can't heal people. And you'd be right. You can't heal anybody. I can't heal anybody. I can't preach. This ain't me. And until you realize that this is whoever's standing here, you should be able to tell if it's Matt that's preaching or if God is working through me. If Sam is preaching or if God is moving through him. You have to accept that anointing not just for me, I'd appreciate y'all to have faith that it's not me. It helps me out a lot. But you have to accept it for yourself. God wants to give you these gifts too. But if you don't walk in them, if you don't accept them, Satan ain't even going to get out of bed for you. But when you do, you become Satan's worst nightmare. You go, well, Satan is the devil there, sir. How can, he's the one, he is the giver of the nightmares. Yes, but now you have the power to destroy him. Not just keep him at bay. Destroy him. So let's make that personal, okay? I'm going to start with Sherry. You're the devil's worst nightmare. Sam, you're the devil's worst nightmare. Levi, you're the devil's worst nightmare. 
Make it personal. Take it to you. Say, I am the devil's worst nightmare. He can't even stand when I realize who I am. He can't touch you without approval. And then when he does come and you say, nope, shut up and get out. He goes, well, I kind of, nope. So even when Jesus cast out Legion, he said, you got to go. They held on for a minute and they said, well, what if we don't, we don't want to though, right? We don't, we don't really want to. Don't destroy us. That's what they said. They said, can we at least go into them pigs over there? And he said, okay. So when you have a sickness, when you have an ailment, when you have something that's on you and you rebuke it and you cast it out and you say, demon of whatever, because all sickness is of the devil, demon of whatever, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ, you have to leave, and it doesn't go, you go, well, I lost that one. Or do you go, no, I'm not accepting this. This is not mine to accept. You can go take it to somebody else. Go take it to them pigs out there. They're not even, you're not even worthy enough to deal with them, but you're definitely not worthy enough to deal with me. Put your name right there. Put your name in this revelation. Romans 6, 3 through 7. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Put that in a little bit plainer English. Do you not know... That if you're baptized into Jesus Christ, you are also baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him in baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Something I want y'all to kind of start taking note of and we'll get into it more, I hope. This is still all foundation. By the way, the title of this is Arise, My Love. Kind of forgot that. Um, there's a song by New Song that talks about it. And it's not scripturally, but uh, it says that, uh, you know, the tomb was sealed and, and everybody was real sad and the earth was dark that day and one day, two days, three days had passed. Had it be that Christ had breathed his last? It says, and then the father looked down on him and he says, arise, my love. So we talked about how God loved you even when you were a sinner. And we talked about the bride of Christ 
And now if you believe Romans 6, you were in Christ when he was crucified. So you were in Christ when he died. So you were in Christ when he was buried. So you were in Christ when he rose. You are my love. You are God's love. God loves you more than you will ever know. You cannot put any sort of monetary value on how much God loves you. When Satan tried to tempt Jesus and he said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. They were, they were Jesus's anyways. But it was because he knew that love did not equate to the whole world. Because what we get there is so much better than anything we can get here. But when we realize who we are, we start getting really good stuff here too. Maybe not monetarily things, but there's many people in here that can attest to, I didn't get paid, I didn't get paid, I didn't get paid, but my electricity's still on. I still have water. I still have food. I still got gas in my car. I still got to come to church. I still got clothes on. I got nice clothes to come to church in. How many times have some of us ran into those situations where we didn't have the money to get by? I remember once while we were in England, we were still on WIC because the military does not pay well. We had two babies on formula. No, one on formula and one just drank a lot of milk. And uh, so we got on WIC. And we had to go buy groceries. Well, Wick only covers like your milk, cheese, some formula, you know, that type of stuff. I had to buy groceries for the rest of us to eat. And I'm like, not going to make it. I, had, I paid tithes this month. I don't have enough money to buy groceries. And they're just like, bloop, bloop, bloop. And it just keeps going. And I'm just like, like don't even want to look. And I was like, you know, back when, like, you couldn't really see the total, they kind of, like, they have the thing turned towards them, then when they're done, they might turn it out to you. And you're just like, I'm not going to make it. And it just keeps going and going and going and going. And then they're like, all right, that'll be 150 bucks or whatever. And I'm like, I have two carts full of, of groceries. And you're telling me that it was only, that should be $400 worth of groceries easy. And we go, oh, well, things must have been on sale. No. God came down and he said, you know what? I'm going to give it to you for 150 bucks because that's all you have. But that's going to give you enough to get through because that was back. We were in England during the last recession. They were shutting down the commissary for a while. They said that they were going to stop paying us because we were gov government employees. The way that they were going to pay us was let us work at the commissary and give us free groceries of what we would have made, you know, so we could buy groceries. And I'm like, okay, but I now have to work my normal job and then go work at the commissary just so I can get paid in apples and oranges. John 14 
19 through 20. We'll go back to 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. This is pr Jesus promising the Spirit's indwelling. 19, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. How true is that today? The world does not just not see Christ. They deny his very existence. I was watching a video the other day. I'm going to cut myself off a minute. I was watching a video, and they're like, if you could bring one person back from the dead, who would it be? People like Kobe Bryant, Martin Luther King, you know, Prince. And one person was like, Jesus. And I'm pretty sure that tomb's empty. Pretty sure it's been proven empty time and time again. So what are you bringing back? 19, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. I don't think that left anything out. I think that ties it all in. So we talked about his love. We talked about the bride to show that he loves you. We talked about where you're at if you believe what this book has to say. If you believe John 14, 19, and 20, if you believe uh, Revelation 6, and you're in Christ, and you died with Christ, and if you believe that God loves you, then how can you not believe that you're bride? I know that my title and where we've been going since I talked about being bride might not have fully tied in. I had to lay a foundation. When you realize who you are, you will stand up and walk in it. Every verse that we've read so far that has Jesus told us to do something, it has been action verbs. Go do this. You will take up serpents. You will lay hands on the sick. Right? You were buried with. You rose with. It's all we're doing stuff. We're all doing stuff. Go. Actions. You cannot go while wallowing in your self-pity. You cannot go when you go, oh, well, you don't understand that. This sickness is so much more. You don't understand. You've never had anything like this. There's a guy that currently does motivational speaking around the world that was born without legs and arms. The doctor said, you will never walk. I was watching one of his videos the other day. He told his mom he will never walk. He has like little feet on the bottom of just his torso. He doesn't even have stumps like dad. So he, he's on this platform because if he didn't, nobody could see him. So he's on a stage on a platform, and he starts hobbling back and forth. He goes, looks like walking to me. That's another one of those that until you meet somebody like that, you go, you don't understand my sickness. You've never had pain like I've had. You've never gone through this. You've never gone through that. Nowhere in here. 
that I've found yet, does it say that your pain was worse than his? That if your pain hurt more than the cat of nine tails, that you were allowed to wallow in it? Brother Sam and Sister Bethany posted something on the Facebook group a while back, I think it was, and it was just a depiction of what he might have looked like after the kite of nine tails. And that didn't even do justice. They said that he didn't even look human from having his beard ripped out. But your pain's worse than that. What you're going through is worse than knowing when this man walked up by the name of Judas Iscariot and he said, I want to help you and I want to serve with you. Jesus looked him right in the eyes, knowing what he was going to do. And he said, come on. Judas cast out devils. Judas laid hands on people and healed the sick. Do you know what kind of pain that is that somebody, it's one thing to be betrayed by a friend. It's a whole nother thing for you to know they're going to do it and you still befriend them. If you knew that somebody was going to turn you over to the police to have you murdered brutally, and, they can, and you know it, they come up and you see it and you know, are you still going to be friends with them? Are you still going to sit down and invite them to your house to eat food with you, to eat your food, to drink your drinks? Humanly, we go, nope. I'm going to send him packing. He doesn't deserve my time. Jesus gave Judas the same time he gave Peter. He knew that Peter was going to deny him, but what did he do? Peter had this revelation. When Peter said, you are the Christ, and Jesus said, on that rock, not on Peter, Peter does not hold the keys to the kingdom. On that rock, that rock of revelation, he said, I'm going to build a church on that rock, on that revelation. And this is the same one that said, no, I don't know him. You, you're looking at the wrong person. That must be that other Simon guy. Jesus still befriended them and took them in and provided for them, even knowing what Judas was going to do. Revelations 4 and 1, right? Yep, Revelation 4 and 1. I ran out of my, my cheater pieces, so I have to... Get close. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will shew you, show you, or show these things which must be hereafter. Come up. Come up higher. What does it mean to come up higher? What happens when you come up higher? So some of y'all, most of y'all know, I worked out at the grain elevator out on, down south in, in Hayesville area. 
And it was about 300 feet at the top of the, at the top of the uh, head house is what it's called. So about 300 feet at the top. Uh, we tried not to get any higher with ladders, but so at the top, you don't realize how flat Kansas is. I've been on top there. People told me stories that they were up there one time and an eagle landed on the rail in front of them. Eagles, you're talking about birds that can fly at 20, 30,000 feet. And uh, they felt safe enough to rest at 300. 300 feet's pretty high. You don't realize it. Standing on top of that, I could see the grain elevator in Hutch. I could see the grain elevator in Wellington. The grain elevator in Winfield. We're talking 45 minutes to an hour drive that me standing with the blind eye, I can see those elevators. Standing up there one day, I saw a hawk flying around. Most of the time when we see hawks, we do this. I saw a hawk flying around like this. When you get higher, you see a bigger picture. You can see more than just what's in front of your face. Right now, I mean, we can see pretty far if you look across there, but then there's trees. But even that tree, if it's 40, 50 feet high, if you stood on just the top of this building, because of the curvature of the earth, you'd be able to get past that line of trees and maybe see the next line of trees. You can see for miles. The human eye supposedly can see about 14 miles. When we were in England, we stopped at Dover Castle. I went there three times. Dover Castle is really cool. Uh, it's right on the edge of the channel. So standing there, one day it was not foggy, which is rare enough on its own in England. And I looked across and I saw land. And I'm like, oh, there must be an island in between us and France. Because there's no way the channel's so small that that is France. But France is lower sea level than the cliffs of Dover. So I'm standing on top of the cliffs of Dover. I get home. I get on my internet. I look it up. That was France. The higher you get, the bigger that picture gets. The bigger that revelation is, the clearer that it can be. So by me standing here and telling you that this is what you need to see, and this is what you need to see, and put yourself in this, and put yourself in this, and you have to believe it. But until you put yourself in Revelation 4 and 1, when John was told to come up higher, you're not going to see the full Revelation. You can't see everything that this has in store for you if you're staying down here. You have to put yourself in this. Once again, if you don't believe what's in here, then why are you even here this morning? You cannot bounce back and forth. While I was studying earlier in, uh, before church, I, I happened in Ephesians 5. And in Ephesians 5, it says there is one Lord, there is one baptism, there is one... So, well, what if, what if I believe we've talked about the Trinitarians and the 
two-lord doctrine, which I've still kind of, I don't really understand that one. But do we just rip out Ephesians 5 and not talk about that one? And if you don't believe me, you can turn to Ephesians 5. It's somewhere in the first half. It says there is one Lord and one baptism. Take a sharpie and, well, I don't agree with that. I don't like that one. Oh, I don't, I don't like this one. Let me color. Let me color that. That hits too close to home. Let me color that out. Matthew 10, 1 through 42. Mark 6, 7 through 13. Luke 9, 1 through 6. Jesus sends the disciples out. Once again, you cannot go without a rising first. You cannot fight from a seated position. We are in a battle, folks. We are fighting a battle that we can't even see most of the time. If you, if you could, if God opened your eyes to the spiritual realm just to see what's going on around this building right now, it would be worse than any horror movie that man has been able to come up with. The demons that want to come in and stop these 21 people. You cannot fight from a seated position. But Matt, I'm not one of those 12. I wasn't one of the 12. Okay. I got you covered there too. Luke 10, 1 through 2, he sent 70 more. Name them. Right, you can't because it doesn't name them. So you're one of that 70. Because he calls you out later on to go and to, and to do. And Mark 16 said that you have these things. Who was he talking to there? We were like, oh, well, he was just talking to the disciples. And, and, and he didn't say, Peter, you're going to go and do this. Matthew, you're going to go and do this. James, John, you're going to go and do this. He said it to cover you too. So you can put yourself at the top of that. Aaron, you're going to go and do this. Joseph, you're going to go and do this. Man, time goes fast. I'm going to stop on this. Isaiah 40 and 31. Everybody should know it. They will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagle. Now, you go, oh, Matt, you said that uh, we're not told to sit. We're not told to sit down. We can't fight from a seated position. But this says... They, wait, they, they waited and renewed their strength. Okay. How do you lose strength? By doing. If you just sit and hang out in bed all day, you might be tired, but you could still get up and do. If you do it every day, all day, you get to a point that you get bed sores and you just end up staying in bed because you can't move. But if you follow the context of Isaiah 40, they were not doing that. 
what he's saying is you lost your strength by doing. Wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Renew means it was already new and then you lost it and then you got it back. So you had to do something. And then we go back to those action verbs. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And then if you do start straying out of that line, and everybody's saying, get back in line, get back in line, and you start losing some of that strength, you can come right back here and wait upon the Lord, and he'll renew that strength again. Singers and musicians can come back up. He will renew that strength again. He will put you back in that place. By the way, this is very much only part one. I just I do not want anybody to think that we're just going to stop right there. But if you're not doing, then there's nothing to renew. If you do not see yourself as bride, if you do not see yourself in Mark 16, if you do not put that and accept that anointing and that power, then you have nothing to renew. Satan has done everything he can between Tuesday and today to discourage and stop. And I didn't even start writing notes until like yesterday. I did a little bit Friday, but he's done everything he can to try to stop. Because anytime I've learned this, anytime that I get up here to preach and to show you a revelation that then will make you a stronger Christian... He doesn't want that. He'll take preaching all day. He doesn't care about that. But when you're showing power, when I'm showing you how to get that power, I'm showing you how to walk in that power, he wants to stop that one. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for anointing me to bring forth this message. I thank you for placing me in you and you in me that I may have the power of Mark 16. That I may have that renewing of strength in Isaiah 40. That I can rise up on wings of an eagle and I can see that larger revelation that you have in store for me. I can see further in the direction that you want me to go. I thank you for each and every one here. I ask, Lord, that you plant this seed in their heart and you just water it and let it grow, <clears throat> that they may grow in you and that they may put themselves in this situation and they may put themselves in this revelation and they see themselves in that vision of the bride, that they are your bride, that they have what you have that they have the power that you endued upon us they we can do what you did when you walked this earth i pray lord that you open our eyes that we can see what you have in store for us like in revelation 4 when you told john to come up higher just let us come up higher so that we can be shown the things that you have in store. I thank you, Lord, for each and every one here. 
bless them mightily as they as we all go our separate ways just watch over us protect us let us walk in this fullness of life let us be so bright that people can see us almost physically glowing with the Holy Ghost that you have poured upon us, that you have anointed us with, that we can take this word all throughout the world. I ask, Lord, that you just be with those that as we go back to work Monday, let, let people see a change in our lives that even no matter how long they've known us, let them see a change in our lives that can only come from the revelation that we see here today. Let us walk in that, Lord. And I thank you for what you're going to do, what you are doing, and what you've already done. Let us reflect on those testimonies, not just from Tuesday, but everything that you've done for us let us just reflect on those and just love you and thank you daily for your grace and your mercy and I ask these things in your name Jesus Christ amen there'll be no more tears to dim the eye all is Glorious day that will.